early Miley Cyrus being like cheerful and happy in Hannah Montana. And then as soon as you get behind the curtain, it's, you know, blood and gothic vampires. <laughs> it's Lady Gaga is the one true hero. The little monsters must protect her. <laughs> dangerous fishing boat in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 275 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're sharing another round of plot hooks to use in your game but first the party lowers property values in the gates of morning campaign and later undeath metal absolutely slays his set in the character creation forge Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. And finally, color miniatures are here. No painting required. No painting? I'm sold. Because I dislike painting, although I do very much enjoy all the pictures of the painted minis that uh, all of you send and also post in the Discord. With Hero Forge's easy-to-use design tool, you can build the perfect miniature online using a fully 3D in-depth character creator right from your web browser. They offer custom minis in a variety of materials, including plastic and metal, and they also offer downloadable model files for users to print your own 3D characters at home. And they're constantly expanding the catalog of customization options, adding new parts every week and major features like races and custom posing on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, I think in Q4, they are adding additional epic weapons and bases, a bunch of options for dragon minis. They're also adding wings and bear folk, which means finally we can get a warden miniature, a bear with fairy wings. Okay, what are you doing, Hero Forge? Are you listening? Are you listening to us? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with it. All right, so join me and visit HeroForge.com to start designing your custom miniature today and check back often. There's new content added every week. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Korth, the austere capital city of Karnath, the party is chasing a killer. They've tracked down another mine seed, Elaine, to a swanky apartment in the Hightower district, and the current battle is rousing the usually quiet neighborhood. Two brown bears summoned by Warden clamor up the f a fine staircase and into the arcane laboratory and proceed to surround Elaine. But the spellcaster throws both of them back into the wall with a wave of concussive force. Warden, though, manages to dispel the translucent image of the quarry surrounding him, which drops many of his defensive pr protections. Switch's new silent sword seems much better suited to channeling her smites than her old rapier, and now most of her blows strike true, cutting Elaine with the full weight of each attack. He retaliates against the party with multiple flurries of supernaturally strong hits, denting metal and cracking bone with his bare hands and kicks. He slays both of the bears, whose bodies disappear back to Thalanus, and nearly topples Warden, who is now in the form of a hammer-tailed dinosaur, an Ankylosaurus. Bramble decides to layer the form of a giant ape over the top of the dinosaur in order to keep Warden in the fight. I'm just a dude dressed as a dude playing another dude. <laughs> and if, you, if you're just a dude again, that's not much help to us right now. Right. Switch slowly gets back to her feet, brandishes her blade, and proceeds to stab Elaine through the chest. The Sybaris shard embedded over his heart shatters, and he drops to the ground dead. Then they all hear a high-pitched whine just before the room explodes. Uh, Lenore is able to duck behind a heavy bookshelf and shield herself from flying rubble. Bramble, though, takes the full brunt and is thrown across the room into a wall with a crack and falls unconscious. Warden's ape form is completely washed away by the flames, but the dinosaur beneath remains unharmed. Switch, however, <laughs> is blown out of the high windows and lands with a crunch onto the cobblestones 60 feet below. Warden scoops up Elaine's corpse in his mouth and leaps out the window after Switch, shattering a few bones upon landing and cracking the pavement. 
immediately reverts to human form, casts a quick healing spell over Switch, and torches the small pool of blood beneath her before the pair hobble off into the night. Upstairs, Lenore pushes off the heavy bookcase, pulls a potion from her pack and pours it down Bramble's throat, and then quickly begins rifling through the wreckage to see if there's anything of value. She grabs a sheaf of singed papers that look interesting from inside a desk, and the two of them disappear into the dark streets before the White Lions can investigate the debacle. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week it's plot hooks. We've done this before, you know the drill. It's been like 60 episodes since we've done plot hooks. We need to do this more regularly. Uh, we need to do more mailbags so that we have to write less. Yeah. <laughs> plot hooks and mailbags. That's the show from here on out. <laughs> this plot hook is two podcasters scheme to get ideas from listeners that they send in so they don't have to do any work. Yeah. <laughs> Nearly 300 episodes. <laughs> the well has run dry. Uh, well, it seems like there's a there's a bit of a there are dregs still at the bottom of this well because we have new plot hooks this time. But Shane, what makes a good plot hook for? All right, first of all, it should inspire the GM and get players excited to play. Like it should have enough of a thing there to draw them into that they're like, yes, I want to do that. Right, it's in the name. It's a hook. It it grabs people and and pulls them in. And you know, maybe you're in a little bit of a rut. Maybe it's been a little weird doing. Um, online gaming for the last seven months and you know you're not really sure exactly where this is going a good plot hook you just sort of like lay it on the table and people sort of look at it for a second and go yeah i'm in that's cool i want to know more about that yeah it should also be able to uh draw the players in a variety of directions right the the parts that they seize upon as the most interesting are the ones that you should flesh out in front of them they should have multiple ways to go they should have options you don't want anything too linear or railroady you want them to put their stamp on the hook as well at the same time a good plot hook needs to be manageable within the parameters of an rpg and you know specifically the rpg that you're currently playing you'll never be able to run like an entire story with a plot like the da vinci code but of course you can steal individual ideas from that book and insert them into your game all right, so we've got four new ones for you this time. Shane, tell us about plot hook number one. What is it? How would you run it? What system would you use? Uh, this one I'm calling Knight's Plaid Agents. The year is 1995. Bullet with Butterfly Wings is at the top of the Billboard Rock Charts, and at a crowded club in L.A., hundreds are dead in a gruesome charnel house mass murder. The last song on the set list, Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Uh, did you call this plaid because of Gwen Stefani's pants, basically? <laughs> no, 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 no. So, okay, the local police are flummoxed, but a contact with the feds has brought in a team for an off-book investigation into the grunge music scene. <laughs> Could I want it to be the Scottish grunge music scene, but okay, all right, I'm, I'm are, are on board. Back? I'm into this. I Knight's, lived through this. Knight's flannel agents, would that be better for you? <laughs> Okay, no, no, so, no, I lived through an exact Charnel House massacre just like this. Oh, okay, great, great. Okay. Yeah, so this is, you know, it's an investigation assuming almost every death or song of the grunge or alt-rock musicians of the early 90s was part of a vast conspiracy, and at the center is Courtney Love, the Vampire Queen. She named her band Hole. It was about the one in her heart. <laughs> exactly. So... You can, uh, as a team, you'll trace the deaths of Bradney Noel from Sublime, Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon, Kristen Plath from the aforementioned Hole, uh, Kurt Cobain, eventually leading all the way back to Andrew Wood, uh, who is sort of the uh, founding father of grunge and, and was sort of the, like, the first death that really kicked off the tragedy of the scene. So, oh, and Andrew Wood was from Malfunction and Mother Love Bone and Temple of the Dog. And if you know anything about grudge, you know he's like the godfather of grunge. So I'm guessing we're going to get a ton of 90s flavor here, uh, which, which is terrible because the 90s tasted awful. <laughs> yeah, it's 95. So you've still got Woodstock 94 available to you. You've got Lollapalooza. Uh, you've got all the lyrics of all of these songs, uh, but they eventually lead you back to Seattle, 1990, where Wood first confronted Love about her being uh, a, vam a secret vampire, uh, and that, that meant he had to die. Here's what I do love about this. It's that if your players end up really liking this and you want a sequel, 
then all you need to do is realize that actually Courtney loves a vampire. She's been around for a long time. Um, who do you think was uh, responsible for the untimely deaths of Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and uh, the Big Bopper? I mean, Elvis. Music history is littered with the bodies left behind by Courtney Love. I can only think of one person more improbably old and still surviving that must have been the original like vampire lord, and that's Mick Jagger. <laughs> no one knows where he came from, but he was old when he was young, and he's still making it. So, I mean, if you want to take this all the way back to the Rolling Stones or, yeah, the Big Bopper, like, I can't stop you. That's right. You can't stop us. I like it. Okay. So, how would you actually run this in a game? Uh, Knights Black Agents. Uh, it's right there in the title. Um, but any investigative system that can handle combat against, like, Renfield musicians and then other vampire thralls, right? Like, fighting vampires and this kind of thing is probably going to be pretty few and far between. So you, you want to be relatively low-leveled. Right. You get a few fun scenes, like uh, a mosh pit scene, obviously, right? Uh, Clearly. You get a scrum. Um, uh, uh, you know, some you get into a fight with some stoners over, like, who's, whose music is better, yeah. right? Who gets, who gets to claim Bradley Knoll? <laughs> is it ska or is it grunge <laughs> i mean it's not grunge but he's still you know as far as alt rock is concerned it was pretty important <laughs> it's definitely ska it is <laughs> oh the rude boys <laughs> is, it, is it ska or is it reggae oh. <laughs> is it rock steady we've married the two uh okay now how long do you envision this lasting like it's a it's a fun punny concept does it have legs yeah, six to twelve uh, uh, sessions. I mean, this is yeah. It's it's kind of a, a bit of a joke. You you might want to keep it close. It's all to me. It's all about how much your players care about this era, um, and whether they're going to have fun like investigating, you know, obscure lyrics or um, piecing together like weird connections between all the different bands coming out of Seattle at the time, or whether that's going to be fine because they know the headliners, but otherwise, like they don't want to get into the minutia. I like that you can also take this and. You know, if if you in particular in your group wasn't alive during the 90s or just didn't care about the 90s because you were alive far earlier than the 90s, uh, you can move this to any era and just switch the genre of music and the particular music. Oh, yeah. This works for protest music in the 60s. It works for psychedelic in the 70s. It works for rock and roll in the 50s, right? Like any single era has its own case of tragedies but i think the lyrics themselves of of grunge uh or metal are probably the ones that best fit the kind of like coded messaging didn't lestat in like the Anne rice books eventually like start a band or something like that yeah it was called my chemical romance (laughs) well i was actually going to say it would also be a lot of fun to move this to like the early 2000s yeah i I feel like it really fits yeah you could definitely chime in with a haven't you people ever heard of (laughs) Staking the goddamn vampire. I might also flip this on its head and make it like bubblegum pop. But of course, behind the scenes, that's where it's um, you know dark and steamy. And you have these um, like musicians who have these squeaky clean images who, you know, as soon as you duck behind it. I mean, it's just real life, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's early Miley Cyrus being like cheerful and happy in Hannah Montana. And then as soon as you get behind the curtain, it's, you know, blood and gothic vampires. <laughs> It's Lady Gaga is the one true hero. The little monsters must protect her. <laughs> she's she's speaking truth to power. We must protect her. You just need to read into Taylor Swift's lyrics. She's always trying to tell you something. Thrall me, maybe. It was right there in the title. Carly Rae, don't leave us. Not You can't be a Renfield. She won't ever leave us. She's an immortal vampire. In terms of challenges, um, putting Courtney Love at the top of a conspiracy is... I don't know. I think we've already heard this one before, right? Um, she's certainly a figure that's had enough of that directed at her. So um, I don't know. You, you tell me there's a, a murder conspiracy in the grunge movement, and my my mind jumps immediately to Courtney Love, too. So this may need to pivot into either like a how done it, uh, where you need to prove what Courtney Love is doing, or make her a Renfield or thrall of a of a greater vampire, right? She's she's an unwitting accomplice or or whatever. Uh, this is your Mick Jagger angle for sure. Another obvious challenge is if you don't really know the 90s and 90s music that well, and if you aren't fully steeped in it, it's going to be hard to really make it come to life in a way that is going to be interesting for your players. 
you have to do a lot of research there's a lot of homework yeah yeah exactly like you could uh, you could easily do this for music of the 60s too it's going to be slightly less authentic but you know it, it wouldn't be terrible to go do the same thing to jefferson airplane <laughs> slightly less authentic just like the movies from the 60s right the monkeys come on oh i want the spice girls to do something here somewhere they're involved somehow uh they are in 1995 so they yeah you know if you want to be my vampire i think they would need to be probably like mi6 agents that's right because <laughs> who would suspect them and we just fly them around the world their tours are the perfect cover so mel b is actually like a like a, a daywalker blade type you know half vampire because uh she's scary spice I'm into this, and Sporty Spice is uh, the demolitions and martial arts expert, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, Baby Spice uh, does... Honeypot. Um, Honeypot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ginger Spice is obviously, like, the leader of the group. Uh, and Posh Spice is the one funding all of it. Uh, yeah, or she's the spider, right? Like, she's she's got all the connections, uh, particularly with overseas manufacturing. <laughs> To make her cheap clothes. <laughs> oh, just Dave, David and I are going on a trip. Just two of us. Don't worry about it. Uh, one other challenge is, you know, realistically, this is all a pun on the world as a vampire. So uh, you might have trouble teasing out the mystery long enough if the um, if the players really seize upon that. So um, vampires probably can't be the big reveal. It's got to be either tracing it to the source, figuring out who's a vampire, who's involved in the conspiracy, or... Um, you know, getting the proof that you need, right? You're you're an investigator. If you can, if you can give proof to the government, to the feds, like then you can you can win. But boy, it's got to be a lot because who's going to believe vampires are real? Right. Like it's it's sort of like Matrix before the Matrix. You right. know, you you can go and being like, we all know this is about vampires. I mean, very obviously, you know, Billy Corgan is singing about vampires um but you're playing a, a game called knights black agents it's right there on the cover you know that there are vampires here somewhere so the fun of it is like being in on the mystery and then trying to really expose it the fun of it is accidentally killing billy corgan because you assume he's a vampire yeah accidentally uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to hook number two what do you got some like it hot uh, cultists of the fire goddess are setting the heartland ablaze. A plucky band of adventurers must stop them before they successfully summon her and bring about the year of smoldering, uh, as warned by the prophecy. The year of smoldering. It's just, oh, everyone's only allowed to smize. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is a year when everyone's only allowed to smize. So this is, this is keep, the year. Keep those masks on. <laughs> yeah. So this will start with like strange fires being started in the countryside Initially, they seem innocuous, maybe explained by like a red dragon's cobalt cult or something like that. You know, normal monstrous malfeasance. Eventually, you begin to link them together, either like a location pattern or, you know, common circumstances between them. And then you learn of the year of smoldering, you're able to parse the prophecy, predict the next fire, uh, maybe stop that one. But then like, you know, the, the inferno starts, right? Uh, there's a wildfire that's taking place. Um, it's now self-sustaining. You've got to, you know, race to figure out what's going on and how to stop it. Um, and then, like, as the as the ash and haze fills the capitals, the tendrils of flame begin to lick the outer reaches of it. Uh, you got to track down the priest who's who's conducting this final ritual and um, trying to finish the summoning of the fire goddess. Completing the fine the final ritual, raking the forests of all the leaves. <laughs> Is, I would have just called this one Californication. I'll look. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, look, Australia did it before California, okay? Wildfires are no laughing matter. Uh, well, I, I like this as maybe like a low-level hook or one that starts off low-level because you have something that sort of seems like a natural disaster at first or even like less than that, right? Like a general sort of normal wildfire that isn't out of control is a, is a natural occurrence, not necessarily a disaster. Uh, and then, you know, then there's another one. And two, wow, that's a bad year. That's that's a little weird. Okay, three. Three is weird. And also, if you plot them in a map, it's starting to look strange. Yeah, right. That, that's, a, that's a strange pattern here. If I trace it, it looks an awful lot like the fire goddess's symbol. <laughs> so how would you run it? Yeah, so I think keep it low level, low to mid level. So probably like levels three to eight makes sense in like a D&D &D or, or 
comparable alternative. Um, you know, you, you want the ritual to succeed probably in summoning like a powerful elemental or maybe like a, a medium strength dragon. Um, the kind of thing where you might need preparation, magical enhancement, allies along in order to succeed. But ultimately, like, you know, you, you have to be successful enough that this isn't a world ending stake. This is uh, this is the kind of thing you can manage because. Right, exactly. This is this is where you right, get your is, like credibility one of to, your the, to the crown, you know. Right, you saved the country. Um, also, I mean, just from a mechanical perspective, this is going to be before a lot of your players have access to things that will make them either immune or like highly resistant to fire. So, I mean, if you're walking around with like people who can't be touched by the fire goddess, it's not that interesting a, a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's why you keep it short, keep it lower level. So maybe eight to 12 sessions, but uh, definitely like. That's one of the challenges, of course, right? There's lots of fire-themed monsters, but fire resistance and eventually immunity is also pretty easy to find. Um, so you want to make sure that you can't just invalidate everything or else give them fire resistance and scale up the threat significantly. Yeah, this is this sort of reminds me of the issue you sometimes get when, you know, the threat is the undead, you know, and you're sort of like ramping up the difficulty throughout the arcs of the campaign, you know, and eventually you start with like an, a zombie infestation uh, in the cemetery, you work your way up to, you know, like ghouls across the, the countryside, and eventually like there's a lich at the top of this, this whole pyramid. Um, but you need to take breaks from the undead to make it so that people who won aren't that great against undead or maybe like aren't that into the theme in general like get some time to do something else and the same thing is applicable when you're dealing with like you know a fire-based enemy or whatever cold weather whatever you know what have you 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 don't want to like completely screw over the pyromancer because they have absolutely no way to <laughs> hurt these things right but you know for a few sessions it's probably fine yeah and that's the other part about this is like if if it's the middle of your camp like the middle arc of a campaign um the players won't be as inclined to hyper specialize right like they won't go full fire special anti-fire specialty because they know something is coming afterwards and, and betting all your chips on this one arc is maybe um detrimental mm. uh, and also keep in mind there there are currently right now many fires you look on instagram people are posting uh the haze from nearby wildfires or even wildfires hundreds of miles away they're still you know carrying the the smoke so it is a real life thing that is happening in the real world and that's something to be sensitive about if you have players uh who are affected by it or know people who are affected by it yeah i, I would just try to avoid focusing on the um like the specifics of the the human cost there right um kind of focus on well this isn't natural this is sort of uh in intentionally done so um you know, makes it makes it feel a little less uh, a little less targeted, I guess. Yeah, and it's a little bit easier in like a fantasy setting that is usually like more medieval. So you have large swaths of you know basically uninhabited or at least uninhabited by humanoids, right? Land where like there can be a fire in that location, but like in the real world these days, if there's a fire in a location, someone was living there. Yeah, but in a you know in a fantasy world, it could basically have like no essentially collateral damage, you know, except for the druid. Or the elves. F the elves. All right, Ishan. What do we got for our third hook? All right. This one is called, uh, let's call it Learning Curve. All right. So the party awakens in new artificial bodies in an abandoned facility. They are equipped only with very rudimentary knowledge of their circumstances and the abilities of these new forms. They've got simple weapons, maybe like a, a particle cannon, maybe some light body armor. However, after a little bit of experimentation, it becomes clear that these new bodies are very adaptable. A bit of investigation of the facility reveals components, mechanical, technological, data-driven, or whatever, that can attach or integrate into these bodies, giving them access to new weapons and new abilities. Now, there are also data banks in this facility, and they reveal a constellation of other facilities, each one devoted to a specific kind of technology. But those facilities aren't abandoned. Each one is run by another powerful artificial creature who has mastered that technology. Of course, these dangerous destinations seem like the only place to find out more information about their current predicament. 
this sounds a little familiar. Yeah, it's Mega Man. This is Mega oh, Man. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're playing a Mega Man game got uh, it, in an RPG. It. Okay. All right. How how would you do it? Uh, I mean, I think probably the obvious way to do this would be to run it in Lancer. Like, Mega Man is all about combat. Lancer is pretty much all about combat. Um, Lancer sort of gates access to higher abilities based on you know your level you can choose different uh licenses which grant you access to different kinds of technology or weapons or um like uh, mech frames or what have you and you can mix and match them uh, as you get access to them the point in this is that you restrict the licenses to maybe a few licenses within a single manufacturer and you give everybody in the party access to the exact same licenses it doesn't mean that everybody's playing the same character the same build or whatever you just select from the larger options because in lancer you always have far more options than you can actually use at a given time yeah and then just like in Mega Man, you're sitting here in this facility and you have eight other facilities to choose from and it is totally up to you in which order you're going to do this you know you want to attack the data facility first and get access to some ssc components you know you want to attack the manufacturer Torum and get access to, um, you know, some uh, IPSN components. You can definitely do that. It's totally up to you. We're going to go after Tank Man. Then we're going to go after Artillery Man. Then we're going to go after Melee Man. Then we're going to go after Combined Arms Man. That's exactly it. We're gonna. Where's uh, Where's Blink Space Man? I want to. Yeah, exactly. I want to kill them. I want to get a Displacer. Where's Hacker Man? so success means you get access to new licenses. You get access to the licenses that are kept in that facility. And now they can be selected by anyone in the party. So I think, you know, it's pretty obvious. You you just sort of like you're scanning these facilities from your facility and you can see the licenses that would be available. Um, and you can see like the name and like some minor information about sort of like the a platonic ideal of, you know, a manufacturer or a particular mech that's like, you know, heavily souped up. Uh, and then, you know, you go do your combat fighting through Bluster mechs and eventually make your way to like one big solo battle with someone who's like extraordinarily powerful but there are multiples of you mm -hmm. uh whenever you mention modularity uh and artificiality it makes me think of warforged um or maybe even modrons yeah you can definitely do this outside of lancer you can do it in a more traditional fantasy setting if you're gonna do warforged you know you have everybody wake up in a caneth facility after the morning and you know defeating new enemies and um gaining new like docents or warforged components probably grants you i would say access to maybe new feats that might be the only way you can take feats in uh, this particular game and new gear you know you can actually like oh I, like i got an axe and now i'm gonna make that into my arm yeah For i like mode I, okay. I like that as a way to distribute feats um instead of trading in asis right it's just cool you can choose feats when you complete these tasks right a docent gives it to you or whatever uh, you bolt on this thing that grants you that feat and then that that makes you feel a little more powerful than regular dnd characters yeah you can even swap them out in between missions right on a long rest you have access or maybe the party has as access to a pool of different feats or docents or whatever and you can you know swap them between characters right like maybe the information is kept within a specific docent and only one person can have it at a time yeah. or they're you know share together in, in a matrix and anybody can access it at, at any point you know whenever you want yep modrons i would probably even go even i would go even further and just make it that the way that they learn classes like the way that they level up is by overrunning new facilities you know like maybe this is part of the march maybe they're all rogue modrons or whatever but they're basically blank slates and they have absolutely no idea you know what's going on or what a fighter is right um, but they like, I don't know, immerse themselves in like, you know, a pool of dead God knowledge or, you know, spend a little too much time around like a, a regular humanoid that they've been battling. And now they have access to that information. And, and hey, if you want, you can take up to fighter level three at this point. Yeah. Uh, how about campaign length? I mean, sticking to Mega Man, I would say probably eight sessions or eight missions, one for each of the like robots or... Um, main enemies that whose abilities you're trying to absorb and then one to two for the finale to take out whoever actually is in charge here now there are a few challenges obviously it could just be too combat heavy 
I wouldn't try to emulate the gameplay of a Mega Man game because that is exclusively entirely combat and shooting. And even even a Lancer game doesn't really work at the point where you're just shooting lots of enemies that you can kill in one or two hits. That gets super, super dull. And then I'd also say you probably want to position this either at the beginning of a campaign, like start everybody off with you don't have any knowledge, you wake up in a weird place and you don't know why you're here, and then the mis- uncovering that mystery is essentially the campaign. Or you can use it as a short, a short interlude in the middle of a different campaign and just have people play a totally different kind of game. So, you know, you're actually, it wouldn't matter what levels you were at before or what kind of game you were playing or even what system you were playing. You can just be like, there's going to be an interlude. I'm going to give us a break from what we've been doing recently. And that sort of lampshades the gaminess of you're playing Mega Man in an RPG. And you just say, all right, whatever you were doing before, it was Eclipse Phase, it was, you know, Epic D&D in the Forgotten Realms or whatever, you have fallen into, you know, Halaster's laboratory in um water deep uh, undermountain oh right uh or you know um you wake up in bodies of warforged on the day after the day of morning and you weren't warforged before that's fine this is like some sort of weird hallucination or strange magic thing and obviously your task is go recover your memories and new technology from all these enemies incorporate them have fun with your Mega Man game, and then at the end of this, you sort of return to your original bodies. Yeah. All right. Give us hook number four, Shane. All right. This one is the Grand Crusade. The Imperial Guard projects the will of the Emperor across the thousands of planets of the Imperium. Every world ties their son and daughters to the Imperial Guard as it wages war against heretics, witches, and Xenos across the galaxy. And the players are one regiment in the Grand Crusade across the stars. They organize and deploy its forces, then play the guardsmen executing their missions. Casualties will be heavy and reinforcements will be scarce, but such is the burden of command. So, uh, you know, you'll fight close at hand with some of the Emperor's most powerful assets. Space Marines, Inquisitors, Assassins, Sisters of Battle, maybe a living saint or two. Uh, But... You know, while their power can help push the regiment to great achievements, it's really it's human grit, determination, and sacrifice that make sure their mission is accomplished. So I'm assuming you're not going to just play only war because this could just be an only war game. No, of course not. Only war is garbage. What did you say about uh, the Emperor's Finest? (laughs) I said they're fine. They're Well, some of them are fine people. Most of them are dead people. (laughs) Oh, no, the Emperor didn't say finest. He said finest. Foddest. Fodder, fodderist. Fodder, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, yeah, most fodderly. Okay, so how would you run this? Uh, Band of Blades. Uh, it's actually the only way this works for me is Band of Blades. <laughs> so basically, you would craft a third phase onto Band of Blades, which would be like the Crusade phase, right? So you add a third map that is of the stars, right? A map of the galaxy or, or the segment in which the Crusade is taking place. Um, and then your regiment marches across the various worlds within the Crusade, uh, gaining and losing permanent resources as they begin each deployment on new worlds. Uh, and each of them is like full of strange new threats, right? Like uh, different types of world within the Imperium classification. Um, you know, some are held by the forces of chaos, while maybe others have Xeno infestations. Um, you know, maybe there are third parties that are at play here, um, Eldar orcs right like anybody could be involved of rebels like imperial rebels that are taking the advantage to separate um you know so you you could have all types of different varieties of of threats that need to be handled over the course of like this massive army moving throughout the stars fighting one kind of you know ultimate foe which probably is chaos so does this crusade phase in this map of the stars is it in addition to the traditional band of blades world map yeah yep okay okay so think of it this way like band of blades right you have a map you you march your um you march the legion across it right to the end point and that's the end of a campaign right we just do that multiple times strung together uh multiple maps right and the can the crusade phase is what unites them right mm-hmm. one regiment takes multiple marches basically um and so what you're doing you're keeping that map mission and campaign phase 
call that a deployment, right? And then string your deployments together throughout the crusade. So the map would become either marching on a critical objective, like a city or a shrine or a fighting retreat um, after, you know, that cause has been abandoned and you're just going to glass the planet or, or let it fall to chaos, right? Like depending on the, the ebb and flow of the crusade itself. Um, so your resources on a given map will dwindle. Those don't refresh, right? But once you lose, like once you hit whatever the loss conditions are of, a, of, um, of the campaign, or once you succeed, right, you get to the end of the map, then you go back to the crusade, you resupply, right? You might change your permanent resources, so what you start with could change, but you'll always start each mission with fresh supplies that will dwindle over the course. So you're kind of repeating that loop, um, but just in different places. Okay, so you don't get into the sort of downward spiral that you might face if you were just playing several games of Band of Blades back-to-back. Not, not permanently, right? Because you'll reset at the beginning of each map. Every time you get a fresh map, you get fresh resources, you're deployed, and your supplies are, you know, of course, limited because the Imperial Guard is sometimes deals with that, right? Like, um, But every time you're deployed, you've got a, a fresh set of resources that you're managing for that that mission. And And basically what we're doing here is like, you're adding, you know, the purpose of going to this world and conducting this mission is to gain yourself, you know, fresh resources, right? More recruits, better tanks, um, you know, to recover like uh, or, or save like a living saint or um, to bail out an inquisitor who has critical uh, intelligence for the crusade. Things that will make you either increase the renown of the regiment so you get better missions and better supplies or will directly give you resources, so that you, as a as a regiment, you get more powerful and more glorious as you continue on, even though each time you're deployed, like, the cost continues to grow, right? You lose more and more as you go. So it's kind of that, like, ebb and flow of, like, human cost versus the, the glory of the collective. Uh, and Band of Blades has built-in mechanics for, you know, the, the regiment to pick up allies um, for the chosen who is marching with them, I guess the living saint we would call them, um, to grow more powerful and of course those can be reskinned yeah in, you know a lot of ways yeah you could even shuffle those out right one of them will march with you in a given world right it might be a great general or a war master it might be a living saint might be a space marine uh or a squad of uh, you know a detachment of space marines right who who have this like kind of superhuman power <laughs> right they can aid you in some ways but they can't achieve your mission for you all right so how long do you envision this game running so band of blades is set for 10 to 15 sessions per map uh we would probably want to distill that down to maybe like six to ten and then run that across like multiple deployments in a crusade so it'd be very long right 30 to 40 sessions is probably where you'd be targeting um and, and you know you would go through lots of characters like you would get to know the leadership of, of the regiment very well um the grunt soldiers would would each of them maybe last for you know, one to two deployments before they probably like don't survive eventually, right? And that that would kind of give you that sort of lasting legacy of like, remember that character that whose name we all remember from the first deployment we had as a regiment? Like, we're now on deployment number four, and like, you know, uh, they have this honorary that we like bestow upon a title that we bestow upon somebody in in the regiment, things like that. You create your own traditions. Yeah, I think this is a good way to emulate the feeling that you get from reading Gaunt's Ghost novels. And that's where, what it's going for, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, like, one of the issues that Dan Abnett, the author, was running into is, like, you know, he's just killing a bunch of people because it's the Imperial Guard. But and soon he, he was, like, running out of characters. Yeah, like, you, you spend time developing characters. It's hard to kill them. So, one, he sort of dialed that back. But also, he just started bringing in an influx of new characters. And I think that's something that you'll need to do each time is like every time you're successful or at least somewhat successful um, on a deployment, you're probably bringing in a lot of new recruits. Like everyone you save, even if the world is going to fall to chaos, um, you know, or if you're able to save a world from chaos or, you know, tyrannies or whatever this is facing it, uh, you now have like a, a new steady recruitment pool coming from that. Yeah, or, or just like your homeworld is continuing to tithe new soldiers, right? So your regiment has just reinforced the normal imperial way of throw more bodies at it, right? Oh, you want to play a story where they actually have a homeworld that still exists? You okay. could do that. I, I didn't. I didn't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, you know, because like 
that, that's the thing is like, there's lots of worlds in the Imperium that have this proud military tradition, right? But like a given regiment carries that tradition, you know, uh, the, the, the Fantine 76th are legendary. Not every Fantine soldier is part of that regiment. Yeah, I think you would need to lean on the command staff a little more in terms of RP than you do in a traditional Bands of, Band of Blades game where it's sort of split between command staff and the specialists um, because only the command staff are going to be the ones guaranteed to actually continue to exist more than several deployments. Like even, even if you have like a high-ranked specialist who has you know tons of dots and lots of abilities, it's a system where there's always always a chance that you're just going to die, maybe yeah. even off screen. Yeah, like eventually, like as your squads fill, they have to take on secondary missions within within the game, and there's just always a chance they get wiped. You know, like they might just die, and that's that's the reality of it that you'll have to kind of come to terms with, and that's what you'll be role playing as the group is like how how do we deal with that? Yeah, and then you can tie it uh, more closely to the command staff just because they're going to be the touch point and the through line for the game. Or uh, you promote your specialists. Oh, <laughs> like, to command staff? To command yeah, staff, that right? Yeah. Um, that way, you know, certain members of the command staff might die or retire in different circumstances, right? You might you might allow that. Like, if we're going to lose a specialist, perhaps we trade out a command staff member for that specialist. I mean, um, you could say that's what happened to Gaunt, right? Like, yeah. he was an on-the-ground specialist, basically, and, and yeah, he got, got lost and traded staff. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's that much of a spoiler to say he's ends up War Master. It's right there on the title. Uh, all right. So challenges. Uh, well, it's a complete reskin of Band of Blades with an additional phase added on. So it's kind of like writing a new game, Ishan. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure writing Band of Blades in the first place wasn't that difficult. So. No. Just we'll we'll just ping Strash and ask him to just you know do a find and replace for us. I think we should just wing it over 40 sessions yeah. just see what happens <laughs> that's my method <laughs> <laughs> um uh, you know other other thing is you could genericize this out of 40k of course uh, it doesn't have to be a warhammer game but um if you're keeping it in 40k you know you've got the buy-in that's required there there's um obviously pieces of this or you know you're kind of playing the fascists or at least the catholic crusaders so it's not exactly like a great look but you know, it's one of those environments where uh, the alternative is always worse. So live the grimdark. All right, Shane, you have a favorite one that that you might realistically try to bring to a table soonish? Uh, I mean, of them, I would say probably the easiest to do would be um, some like it hot, right? Trying like because that's a pretty like straight D&D campaign, in my opinion. Mm. But uh, me personally, I think most likely to get to the table would be Knights Plat Agents. Um, you know, I, I feel like I could run that Knights Black Agents game pretty well. I, I know the subject matter enough that I could kind of lean into that without too much extra research. How about you? Um, I mean, realistically, I think Knights Plat Agents is the easiest one to get off the ground. Like both of us are familiar with the system. It's a system that you can just sort of jump in, even if people don't necessarily know it that well. Our group is um, the right age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know a ton about the 90s and I can just go with it. Um I've had a couple of other um game ideas that I'll probably say for plot hooks number 6 um centered around like revisiting the 90s, the 80s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um so like this sort of hits that that sweet spot for me. Um that one could also uh, be a Knights Black Agent solo op game. It it doesn't feel like it mm-hmm. necessarily needs the group to do. Like that feels like one agent could handle that investigation, right? So you could mm-hmm. really do that with two people. Um, and of course, now now I just want to play a Mega Man mini game. Sure. Um, but but that'd be way too much prep. So probably like just a couple sessions. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? I'm just uh, uploading the data module of Knights Plaid Agents uh, into my new artificial body. And somehow we're going to merge these things together. Well, that sound can mean only one thing, Nirvana Reunion, and it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Wait, Shane, freebie. Uh, I just I just thought of this. It's not a full-on plot hook, but um, in canon in Eberron, there is a town in the middle of nowhere that just appeared one night, and it's all of the like famous dead people from Eberron history who are, maybe have been cloned, maybe have been resurrected. Nobody really knows. They kind of have... They have memories of their like skills and abilities, but they don't have memories of their lives. So they're just sort of living out little peaceful lives in a town, but like still have all the skills of Galifar uh, or like, you know, Caius before he was a spoiler vampire. And they're just in this little town. What if it was like that, but it's all of the uh, dead musicians from the 90s? Oh, okay. I was going to say, because that sounds like the plot of the uh, made for TV movie Purgatory. The Western, in which all the famous Western gunfighters are living in one town. Uh, is, is that where Lost got the idea? <laughs> Honestly, wouldn't put it past them. Um, yeah, I want to see um, Kirk Cobain and Bradley Knoll um, just uh, just jamming out, having no idea what got them in this mess in the first place. That sounds actually awful. <laughs> <laughs> heroin all right uh, i would never touch the stuff right. all right this episode is brought to you by cobalt press and tome of beast 2 now available on the cobalt press store the publisher of the original smash hit tome of beasts cobalt press has wrangled a new horde of wildly original often lethal and highly entertaining 5e compatible monsters to challenge new players and veterans alike the Tome of Beast 2 will bring 400 new monsters to 5th edition from Angelic Enforcers, Sasquatch, and Shriek Bats to Psychic Vampires, Zombie Dragons, and so much more. In addition to the Tome of Beast 2 hardcover volume and PDFs, you can get Monster Ponds, Virtual Tabletop Versions, and Monster Layers complete with beautiful maps. It includes the work of DSPN, Celeste Conowich, and James Intracasso, and includes some contributions from yours truly. Huh, are both our names in the credits? Our names are in the credits. I'm quite happy with that. Uh, so, you know, you can go check out that page of credits with our names on it if you go buy Tome of Beast 2 at coldbutpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you. All right. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, uh, we are building a uh, suggestion from a listener named Philip Dunn at Hula Chaser on Twitter uh, who asked for a heavy metal necromancer. So we are building Undeath Metal. All right. Shane, what's the build? The build is Necromancy Wizard 6, Battle Rager Barbarian 14, because I could not think of a thing that would be more metal <laughs> than covering yourself in spikes <laughs> and uh, holding an axe, which, as you know, Ishin, sometimes musicians refer to their guitars as axes. Is that the case? That is the case. I'm very excited for them to just smash their axe on the ground. Um, but of course, there's an enemy on the ground. Yeah, also, I, I mean, threw the enemy first. Like, like, let's be honest. You know that there's some death metal outfit out there who has, like, their lead guitarist has a guitar that it, it's just the body is shaped like an axe. Like, you, you know that's true, right? I mean, if you watch uh, Eurovision enough, you always know that every year there's going to be at least one fantasy-themed death metal band. Right. In full cosplay. <laughs> Probably Swedish or Icelandic. <laughs> yes. All right. Um... I, of course, always love a barbarian uh, caster combo. So from six levels of Necromancer, we're getting third level spells. And Grim Harvest, you gain HP equal to two times the spell level uh, when you kill a creature with a spell. And if it's a Necromancy spell, you get three times the level in HP. Then from level six, we will get Undead Thralls. So you'll gain the Animate Dead spell if you don't already have it. And then when you use it, you can target one extra corpse or pile of bones, so you basically get to summon an extra undead, uh, which you can, um, per the spell, control with your bonus action. Uh, and then undead you create will have uh, six extra hit, hit points as, uh, as a wizard six, and you will add your, add your proficiency bonus to damage. Now from 14 levels of Battle Rager... Uh, now you are supposed to be a dwarf here because Battle Rager limits uh, your race selection. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I think if I was going to be a dwarf and necromancer, I would probably also be a barbarian in spiked armor. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, but this is your way to cover yourself in spikes, surround yourself by undead, and rage out with your big axe. 
So you'll get rage and unarmored defense. So if you don't have your spiked armor, you get constitution uh, modifier to your AC. Reckless attack so that you get advantage on your strength-based attacks. And danger sense for advantage on dex saves uh, against effects that you... Then at level 3, you'll get battle rager armor. So this lets you use spiked armor, which uh, you can attack with as a bonus action. uh, And also allows you to deal 3 damage automatically on a grapple. You'll get extra attack, and then at six, Reckless Abandon. Uh, Rage. Oh, Rage, okay. Uh, You'll get your Constitution mod in temporary hit points each time you Rage. Then at level seven, you get Feral Instinct, uh, giving you advantage on initiative and letting you act normally when you would be surprised. Uh, Level nine, and then again at 13, you'll get Brutal Critical, so you'll roll two extra dice when you crit. At 10, you get Battle Rager Charge, which lets you dash as a bonus action while you're raging. And then at 11, Relentless Rage, you're very hard to kill, which makes sense because you have Mastery of Death. Uh, Each time you would be dropped to zero, you can make a Constitution saving throw to prevent. Then at level 14, we'll get Spiked Retribution. Uh, You get to use your Spiked Armor to its full effect. When uh, you are hit by a creature while raging, they will take three piercing damage. So the point here is to raise a bunch of zombies out of combat. And then walk around with your thralls while you're raging, yes? Yes. Uh, And if you happen to drop out of your rage for any reason, you can use your spells to heal back up and then rage again. Uh, And also, like, kind of depending on how you, like, read the wording of killed by one of your spells, like, there are some things you could use as a third level caster that might, you know, also generate some hit points. Like, any, any type of effect you put on yourself that adds damage, you could argue causes a death. My spell, Animate Dead, that, that made one's these a zombies, <laughs> and these zombies have killed it, so really it was my spell. I mean, I would make the argument, but I wouldn't make it with <laughs> too much passion. <laughs> I, I don't think try. it'll break anything, just because like Battle Rager is, is not the most powerful barbarian no. class that you could choose. No, just be angry a little bit longer, it'll be fine. <laughs> also, the odds of killing something with Undead is, is like diminishes greatly as you level all right before we wrap up let's take a moment and thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill you can also leave us a five star review on apple podcasts doing so helps other people find the show and if you do we will read your review on the air so what do we have planned for next week's episode we're talking about speeding up combat And in the character creation forge, we're building Simple Simon. Well, that's it for episode 275 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at Don't Split the Podcast Network.com.